0: can't give up on her. And you can't keep pushing at her. Well, what, what are you supposed to do, just let her quit? If she wants to, yes. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Then you're not hearing what I'm saying. What? What? What is it that I'm not hearing? You can't always fix everything by sheer will. Sometimes there is no reason. Hamilton has to be considered the favorite as we head to the Hawaiian Island Regionals. She's a surfer. She's a competitor. She's more than that. Sherry, if she walks away from this, If she quits, she may never get back in the water again, and she will never be the same. She will never be the same. And if she thinks the only life out there for her is surfing, and she can't make that happen, then she's going to be lost. Really, really lost. Everything's gonna be okay. Yeah, that's me. Mr. Jump right in and fix it. I could just keep my mouth shut. For once. Done, aren't I? I can't even paddle out to the lineup past the big waves. I don't understand. What happened to I can do all things? Why? Why did this happen? Why did I have to lose everything? You didn't lose everything, Bethany. Not even close. That shark didn't kill you. You're still here. Still alive. The family that loves you. What am I supposed to do now? I don't know. And how am I supposed to know? When well, the time is right, you'll know. Tell them you Listen. Listen for what? For what comes next. Go ahead and tell me everything's gonna be okay. Sometimes uh we know it's not going to be okay at least not for a while that's the story uh, from the story of Bethany Hamilton a young lady who many people read about and eventually they made uh, her story into the movie Soul Surfer Um, a uh, young lady who was a follower of of Christ but but, uh, tragically lost uh, an arm right at the shoulder in a in an accident in the ocean when a shark attacked her. And uh, that's her story of trying to move on. I can't imagine what it would be like to lose a limb in the, in the height of your youth when, when you're a competitive person and what you think your life is gonna be all about relates to your body and, and using it in a competitive way. I can't imagine that. That has to be extremely, extremely tough. I, I try to think about some of the, well, I don't try to think about them, but occasionally I think about some of the worst things that could happen. I'm not really wired that way. I know some of you enjoy thinking about what's the worst that could happen, and that's the next thing coming. But I'm not really wired that way. But every once in a while, those kind of things hit you. And when I, when I think about what's the worst thing that could happen to me, outside of, losing, outside of losing the people that are most precious to me and closest to me, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? And for me, it's this thought that comes back, and it would be to be unjustly thrown into prison. I don't know under what scenario that, that could happen, that could ever happen in our culture, society, or in my life, but just if, you, if I was unjustly thrown into prison and you're put in a place where you feel so alone and desperate and hopeless and, and you did not deserve to be there, to me... That's about the worst thing I can think of that could happen to me personally. And 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 you would be in a situation and in a place where it would I believe if you were honest it would force you to ask, it would make you ask, God, where are you? Where are you right now? What are you doing? God, do you have do you have any clue about what's going on here? Do you do you know where I am? Do you understand the situation? Is that, do you, are you there at all? You know, that actually happened to the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah, we talked about him last week in Jeremiah chapter 1. It described God's call on his life. And he answered that call obediently, if not reluctantly at first. But he answered that call. And he did what God called him to do. He delivered an unpopular message to God's people to to turn and repent and and turn back to God and turn away from all the things that they had gotten themselves into. And you know what? He found himself, after being obedient to God, he found himself rejected, mocked, persecuted, and unjustly thrown into prison. I think that's a bad situation. A terrible thing to happen to anybody. And and for me, I can certainly see why Jeremiah would write a book after the book that's his name, given his name. The book following that is called Lamentations. You could paraphrase it and call it the book of crying. Maybe even the book of whining. The book of complaining. God, I obeyed you and, and look where I am now. God, look where your people are. Your people that you made a covenant with and your people that that they've rejected you and now things have gone so badly and it's such a mess. God, will we ever see the light of day again? The truth is, sometimes life and faith are really, really hard. Is there anybody that maybe just agrees with that sometimes life and the faith that we're supposed to have connected to our lives sometimes that is really 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 hard if you look in lamentations chapter 3 that book right after the book of jeremiah lamentations chapter 3 there jeremiah speaks out and in the first part of that chapter he describes his situation and he does it so graphically and tough the the deep stuff in his heart and I'm just going to sum it up a little bit beginning at verse 16 where he says this he has made me chew on gravel speaking of God he's made me chew on gravel he's rolled me in the dust peace has been stripped away and I have forgotten what prosperity is and I cry out my splendor is gone everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost and the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words have you ever felt abandoned by god maybe even you feel that today have you been in a place or are you in a place where where your faith is is hindered its It's being choked by a bitter experience. Tough circumstances that you just just can't forget. Sometimes life and faith are really, really hard. And the enemy of our souls jumps on those circumstances and does everything he can to drive it deep into our spirit and to tell us lie after lie after lie that God is not for us and that God is not with us and that God will fail us he will leave us or that he has already done so it's his the enemy's specific purpose remember this to discourage and to distort the truth with the ultimate goal of destroying you and he shows up in those moments when we're when we're down and discouraged and just pours it on sometimes doesn't he and we get to that place where we just ask, God, why me? Why, why me? I, I want to re- reassure you today that, that in your struggle and in your pain, you've not been singled out as if you're the only one. That's the that's lie of the enemy. You're not the only one who faces the struggle and the pain and the hurt and the discouragement. And, but I do want you to know that if you're going through a tough time, it probably won't be the last. And I do want to encourage you and tell you today that if you think you're on top of the world, something's going to happen that's going to be really tough. And we're not going to get into what's the worst that could happen right now, but, but I, I, I want you to reject because the Word of God rejects those who preach a gospel that says we're never, ever going to have tough times. And that if you had enough faith, everything would be great and wonderful and well. You'd be rich and have and live till you're 175. That's not the gospel. In his book, uh, When God Doesn't Make Sense, Dr. James Dobson tells a story about um, a man that he knew named Dr. Paul Carlson. In the early 60s, Dr. Carlson... Uh, joined a relief agency to serve as a medical missionary in the Congo, the Belgian Congo of Africa. He 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 was doing it just on a temporary basis. He, he, He said he would take six months off from his practice back here in the U.S. and go there and serve in this really tough place in the world. But when he came back to Southern California and his life on the beach, he couldn't get the pictures and the people and the experience of what he went through there in the Congo out of his head. And he told one of his friends, he said, if you could only see the need there, you wouldn't be able to swallow your sandwich right now. And soon Dr. Carlson, compelled by compassion and by the Lord, moved his family to Africa, and he set up a makeshift clinic, and he went from six figures salary a year or more to earning $3,230 a year. but he had a greater motivation than money two years later medical missions saving lives changing lives witnessing to the power of god to the power of jesus christ two years later dr carlson became a pawn in a in a bloody struggle between uh, rival factions in revolutionary civil war going on there and he was among a a small band of, of americans who were taken and held captive near a battle zone and they, they knew for sure that the, the, the rebels that held them were going to kill them. And so they saw a moment when they, when they believed they had one, one quick opportunity, one fleeting opportunity to try to get to safety by scaling a, a wall and jumping over it and running to safety. And several people made it over. And Dr. Carlson saw his moment, and he made his break, and he leaped at the wall. But before he could get over the wall, dozens of bullets tore through his body. And he fell back into a courtyard. His life was gone. I hear a story like that, and I think about somebody who would make that kind of sacrifice, and somebody who would give up things that we hold so valuable, most of us, and would give their life in that way to doing good for people, and then their life is gone. And you would ask, Lord, Lord what? what why why would you leave his family why, why would you take why why could we don't get it god the life of a good godly man ended like that how about how about a young family a young married couple named daryl and clarita married for for several years desperately wanting to have a child go through all kinds of exhaustive tests and procedures and and all of those things and and it just seems like it's never ever going to happen praying constantly that God would bring a child into the world through them but it just seemed like God remained silent and her womb was barren the months the years begin to go by and it looks like well there's just not it's just not going to be possible And then all of a sudden, one day, Clarita discovers that she is gloriously with child. And they're thrilled beyond words. And the healthy baby boy is born seven months later, and they named him Aaron after Moses' brother in the Scripture. And this child was was Daryl and Clarita's pride and joy. But when Aaron was three years old, he was diagnosed with a very violent form of cancer. That followed ten, following that were ten months of painful chemotherapy, radiation, all that stuff going into his precious little body. But in spite of all those efforts and all the prayers, his body continued to deteriorate. And his parents vacillated back and forth between hope and faith and hope and despair and discouragement. A lot of people praying. All kinds of tears. But despite that, at four years of age, little Aaron, the miracle child, went to be with the Lord. And what's left was a a young family still with faith but a lot of questions unanswered when you go through something like that and i i can't say that personally i've ever gone through anything that dark i know some of you have the question comes in those times in those times when it seems like god is absent In those times when it seems like God has let us down, or maybe we would even feel that God has betrayed us. In those times, will we still dare to hope in Him? Because the great temptation that enters in right there is to drift into sadness and despair. And, and I, I don't know about you. I, I mean, there are a lot of temptations we talk about. And I think when we talk about temptations, a lot our minds immediately leap to like bad habits or thoughts or those kinds of arenas. And things that you're not supposed to do, but you're tempted to do because they're fun for a little while. And then, you know, it's just all those kind of... But to me, the greatest temptation, the, the heaviest temptation that I think can take us to the worst place is the temptation despair, to believe that God is not involved in my situation, or if He is, He doesn't care. And the temptation is to drift into that. It usually doesn't happen overnight. To drift into that until we come to a place where we just res- resign to it. And even get to a place where we just, I mean, just kind of sink into it, even wallow in it. Does anybody feel like this is just a little heavy? You almost feel when you're talking about something like this, there's those moments where you, you want to bring an element of, man, can we, just, can we just laugh for a moment? But you're not sure, should we do that or not? Because none of this is trivial. You know, our culture is, is full of songs of sadness and lament. In fact, they sell very well. In fact, you can repeat them over and over and over again. Um, back when I was a, a, young, uh, a young lad, um, there was a television show on, it was an educational show called Hee Haw. <laughs> um, and people under 40 here, I don't think they'd have any idea what I'm talking about. You can YouTube it. Um, and, and on Hee Haw, every week, there was, there was regular scheduled despair. I mean, it was, it was part of the program. The, uh, there, was, there were the two, the two men who just constantly suffered heartbreak. Do you remember that? And they would sing. Do I dare do this? Where, oh, where are you tonight? Why did you leave me here all alone? I searched the world over and thought I'd found true love. You met another and you were gone. Yeah, so sad. But the the ultimate despair was the family in their living room and you do need to look up the picture if you haven't seen in a while of that family sitting in the living room and and singing gloom, despair, agony on me, deep dark depression, excessive misery. Remember that? If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, agony on me. I don't have the melody right, but it was it was just, you know, that that kind of feeling. Now, some of you that's just you know, it's like there's no way I can laugh at pain. It's much too serious, and uh, there are a lot of songs in our culture that, that speak to sadness in a in a deeper level. The, a lot of the British pop artists through the years have had it. They've had a great ability uh, to to write about pain. Maybe it's because it's so foggy and rainy all the time over there in the in the UK. Um, you know, the Bee Gees wrote a lot of songs. They wrote a lot of songs before Saturday Night Fever. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. Did you know also now that there's, so, there's only one B.G. Gee left? Pretty, that's kind of sad, isn't it? Only one, bro, uh, only one Gibb brother left. Um, they, they wrote a song bef- back in their early, early days. It's been covered by a lot of people, including not too long ago Michael Buble, the song How Can You Mend a Broken Heart. You know, I can think of younger days when living for my life was everything a man could want to do. I could never see tomorrow. I was never told about the sorrow. And how can you mend a broken heart? How can you stop the rain from falling down? How can you stop the sun from shining? What makes the world go round? And how can you mend this broken man and you could hear the tear in their voice when they sang it. How can a loser ever win? Please help me mend my broken heart and let me live again. But that kind of angst and anguish doesn't even compare to to a decade or two later when, when Sting and the police wrote a song that was later covered in the 90s by a by a young lady who sung a lot of songs of encouragement named Alanis Morissette. Um, <laughs> do you know the, the lyrics to King of Pain? There's a little black spot on the sun today. That's my soul up there. It's the same old thing as yesterday. There's a black hat caught up in a high treetop. I don't know what that means. And there's a flagpole rag and the wind won't stop. And I've stood here inside the pouring rain with the world turning circles, running around my brain. I guess I'm always hoping that you'll end this rain, but it's my destiny to be the king of pain. Boy, it gets deeper. There's a king on a throne with his eyes torn out. There's a blind man looking for a shadow of doubt. There's a rich man sleeping on a golden bed. There's a skeleton choking on a crust of bread. Are you encouraged yet? It gets worse. There's a red fox torn by a huntsman's pack. There's a black-winged gull with a broken back. There's a little black spot on the sun today. It's the same old thing as yesterday. And I've stood here inside the pouring rain with the world turning circles running around my brain. I guess I'm always hoping that you'll end this rain. But it's my destiny to be the king of pain. I'll always be the king of pain. Jeremiah said, here's what it feels like. Beginning of Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah describes himself this way. He says, I am the one. I'm the one who's seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He has led me into darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He said, the thought of my sorrow and suffering is bitter beyond words. When you're in a place that tough, that dark, that deep, I'm going to ask you again. Will you dare to hope in God? It's powerful to see Jeremiah describe the, the the situation in the nation of Israel. They've been overrun by their enemies because they turned their back on God. And it's so bad in the streets and in, in, in his world. It's terrible for his world, for his people, his family, everybody he knows for his nation. It's rotten for him. And he describes all of that. And he says in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 20, he says, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss but then listen now yet I will still dare to hope when I remember this the faithful love of the Lord never ends his mercies never cease this is the scripture where the great hymn comes from great is his faithfulness his mercies begin afresh each morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is a resolution of faith. A, resol- a resolve of That comes not out of changed circumstances, not out of the sun coming out, not out of all of a sudden everything's much better. It's in the middle of the destruction and the despair and the pain. In the middle of all that, a resolution of faith that says what I can't see with my eyes in the flesh, I will still believe in and hold on to. I will still trust in God. It reminds me of something that comes to my mind so often when I think about what kind of resolve and faith we should have in, in the most difficult of circumstances. It, I go back to that story that I was taught as a little boy about the three young Israel Israelites in exile in Babylon. And they'd been lifted up and educated and put in a good place, but when the decree went out that they were supposed to bow down to the idol of Baal they said no we won't do it and they said well then you're going to be thrown into the fiery pit and they said king you do what you have to do because we believe our God will deliver us but even if he does not even if my child doesn't live even if I don't get the job, even if not all is well, even if I'm in crisis financially, even if things are crumbling, even if God doesn't wave the wand and it all disappears, even if that doesn't happen, I still will not bow down. I'll still believe. I'll still dare to hope in God. Now, that usually requires something of us, something that, um, well, we're typically not really fond of. At least, I'm not particularly fond of it. I, I, I can't speak for everybody here. And it's something that it's not easy to be good at. Waiting. Waiting. Does anybody else here this morning hate that little spinning circle that is made by Microsoft? <laughs> anybody, anybody else just despise, yea, even loathe, that rainbow colored Apple pinwheel? I mean, I want my information and stuff. I don't care if it's coming from light years away. I want it right now. Don't like waiting. In Lamentations 3, verses 25, 26, Jeremiah says this. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. But when we're waiting, questions can still pound away at us. Questions like, is God testing me? Hmm. I, I think that's a possibility. That, that may be the case. Perhaps God is testing. You know, He's looking for faith. He's looking for trust. He's looking for faithful people who don't chase after other things, who don't develop their own plan outside of God's plan, when it doesn't go their way, or the way they think it should. And you can read in the scripture, and you can look around in world history, and probably even in the history of your family and friends, and maybe even your own life history, you can look around, it's a tragic history of those who get out ahead of God, or do their own thing. To some other source, in particular ourselves, when God said to wait and to trust and then obey. Another question that could come after is God testing me is Is this a cruel game? Is this a cruel game? Is 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 that what God does? Is that who God is? Is this just a big cruel joke and out of faith and experience I would say to you I I don't believe so I don't believe so I believe God allows us to endure the consequences of our free will personally and in the world at large and in this fallen world we hurt from our own choices and we hurt from the sins of others. But listen to what Jeremiah says here in verse 31 of Lamentations 3. Listen to this. But no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion. And because of the greatness of his unfailing love, for he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. You look at Jesus' life, the shortest verse in the Bible that a lot of people can quote out of John chapter 11 is, Jesus wept. And the truth is, Jesus did weep. He wept over his lost friend Lazarus and the the pain and, and hurt that that was causing his friends and family. He wept over that before he raised Lazarus from the dead. He wept over the city of Jerusalem when he looked down and he, and he thought about all the masses of people and thought about the grace of God that he was extending to them that was being rejected and the pain and the hurt and the suffering that they were going through because of it. And I believe this morning that the Lord looks down and he sees your struggle and he identifies with you in your struggle. And if you'll put even the smallest amount of faith and trust in him, he'll come beside you. That may mean you're still right in the thick of it for a while. but I believe he'll enter into it beside you, and eventually, according to his time and his way. He'll lift you out. Sometimes, His method of lifting us, maybe I ought to qualify that, maybe maybe most often, not always, but maybe most often, He will lift us by calling someone else to lift us. By calling us to lift one another. and So kind of a question of action that I would have for you this morning beyond you putting your own faith and trust, I would ask you this. Will you help pull someone out of despair? In Jeremiah chapter 38 in a biographical portion of what's going on in the life of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 38 you know he's been delivering the message to the people of Israel and and it's not a popular one and um, and they they take him and they put him in prison and it kind of describes there that the reason he's thrown into prison is because he's delivering bad news he's saying you're you're going the wrong way you're going the wrong direction and and because of that God's judgment's going to come And it's going to come down heavy, and it's going to come down hard. And and a group of, of officials go to the king, Zedekiah, and they say, This guy's got to be shut up. We can't take this anymore. We need to shut him up. We need to shut him up permanently. And King Zedekiah, evidently a very brave man, in Jeremiah chapter 38 says, All right, I can't stop you. Do what you like. And they take Jeremiah, who's already being held captive, they take him out of his cell and they lower him down into an empty cistern, a a very large well, if you will, in the prison yard. And there was no really water in there to draw out, but there there was a deep, thick layer of mud at the bottom, almost kind of like quicksand. And it says, Jeremiah sank down into it. And there he was in that pit fighting for his life the story goes that a a man named Ebed Melech an Ethiopian an important court official who I guess was there as a representative of his country to the kingdom of Judah he saw what was happening to Jeremiah and he rushed to the palace and asked for an audience with the king, and he was granted that, and he said, My lord, the king, the, the people have done a very, very evil thing to put this man at the bottom of this well. He's soon going to die of hunger and starvation or something else. And the king responds to him and says, Okay, you take some men with you, and you see if you can pull Jeremiah out before he dies. And sure enough, Ebed-Melech took men with him and it says they lowered ropes and they put, they put rags around the ropes and told Jeremiah to put it underneath his armpits and then slowly but surely they pulled him up out of that pit. You can hear a message like this today and you can hear the, the words that You know, I guess in a glorified way, what I'm trying to say to people today is that it is going to be okay if you trust in the Lord. And you might even think, you might even think, well, it just sounds nice. But you have no idea. You you have no idea, Pastor. You don't have a clue what I'm going through. How deep or dark it is. And maybe I don't. And if you're in that deep, dark place, just let me, I've spoken to you some, but let me speak to the rest of us. Sometimes, probably even today, we have to hold out hope to one another, especially when someone's in the deepest pit. Are you willing, are you ready to do that? we kind of wrap this up today just let me let me ask you this if, if you're struggling if you're in the tough place and you're not really sure where God is and what he's going to do I'd ask you this question where else are you going to turn seriously come on Oh, you can you can do some things to mask the pain, the hurt. You've probably tried that, a lot of you. You found a solution somewhere else? A lasting solution that gives you hope and strength and peace. Where else would you turn? But to the one whose mercies never end and are new every day, I'm praying that you'll reach for it today. Jesus, we thank you so much for your your faithfulness, your grace in our lives. Lord, I thank you that uh, you've lifted me up many times. Sometimes just through your word, sometimes just through the witness of your Holy Spirit driving down the road. Sometimes, uh, sometimes through unusual ways, sometimes through your beautiful creation, sometimes through just hearing a word or two that spark the hope in my life and Lord I thank you that so many times you've used a brother or sister someone else who had some faith and trust in you and they held it out for me to grab onto Lord help us to see the reality that every human being so desperately needs you. And there's no joy or peace that lasts without you. There's no hope of eternal life outside of you. Help us to be people full of hope, that dare to hope in all circumstances. People that know you alone.